Hey there, and welcome to What Happens Next with Ben and Philip. I am the Ben. And I'm the Philip. So, mate, this week when we discuss from our comfortable armchairs how to solve the world's problems, I'd like to start with Casual Friday and apply our What Happens Next litmus test, our microscope, as to questioning is there a better version of Friday casual wear dress? And here's my question I want to ask you. I wear shirts every day to work, sometimes shirts and tyres. And you mean collared shirts? Collared shirts, collared shirts. And the question arose in recent times, some people wear a polo short sleeve shirt, otherwise known as the golf shirt, on casual Friday. The question asked to you tonight is, can the polo shirt, the golf shirt, you know, the cotton knitted shirt with the uh, cuffs that are slightly tighter, that one, one might play golf in or play cricket or tennis, is it acceptable if it's unbranded without any logo or obvious insignia to wear that chinos or trousers Monday to Thursday? No. Why? No one wants to see your hairy, pimply, tattooed, freckly arms on a daily basis. Okay. So, I often roll my shirt sleeves up anyway and expose my freckles to the office front. Are you suggesting that that would be inappropriate? I think in certain conditions, it is acceptable if it's particularly warm or you are doing some sort of manual labor around the office, such as helping move some boxes for a promotion or assembling some tables and chairs for a function that night. But otherwise, you're in in an air-conditioned environment. I don't think either of us work in non-air-conditioned environments. And there's no need for you to roll your sleeves up. You're not doing any sort of heavy lifting. (laughs) So, you're basically saying it's a massive exception to the rule that one would actually roll their sleeves up and have an excuse to have their forearms exposed. Basically... The meat and potatoes rule is that long sleeves, sleeves down, buttons done up. Monday to Thursday. Okay. Fridays, shirt can hang out, sleeves can be rolled up, top two buttons can be undone. Do a bit of Dennis Lilly if you want. Okay. So, I work in the, uh, the, the TV, the media, the film landscape, a bit more casual than that, but also we deal with business people regularly, obviously. You work in more of a corporate environment. What would you say is the bare minimum- that's acceptable under the Philip Chalk standard well, for Casual Friday. There's some people at my work who I would be issuing with a go-home-and-get-changed order to. Or a clothing infringement notice. Yeah, it's like a yellow card, three strikes. I think basically some people don't know what Casual Friday is. It's not Casual Friday as in going to the shops, getting a loaf of bread casual. It's casual as in business casual. So it's picking up a baguette from the corner store and some soft cheeses, perhaps a small bit of hummus and jalapenos. It's all of those things provided you are dressed to go around to someone's house for dinner. You're not dressed to go back to your house and consume those items on your own in the couch. Spill- on a beanbag. Spilling crumbs down your front while you watch, you know, 10 episodes of Billions on Netflix. Spilling hummus on or your uh, chest so- with your shirts off. Just gently wiping it up with your little finger. So, at my work, we have the curse of the of the work-branded polo, which has been provided to certain employees for conferences, golf days. I think the IT department wear them occasionally. You mean like it's coordinated or they just happen to decide that's something that is work-appropriate because it was once used at work? Yeah. So, it's a work-issued polo that someone's received for an event or for some purpose and- 
some random people in the office choose to wear that polo on casual Fridays. I find it really weird. Oh, so what it's actually like, it's like being a rugby, Aussie rules, gridiron, whatever supporter, a football supporter, and wearing your jersey to the game. In this case, the jersey is the corporate yeah, polo. exactly. And the game you're is wearing, work. You're wearing your corporate polo to your corporate office. It seems really- a little bit sycophantic. It's weird. It's weird. And then you see a guy you're like, hang on, you're not in IT. Why are you wearing the IT? I thought only IT guys wore that polo. So, these guys aren't dressing in a coordinated way to try and bond together. They just happen to think that they're going to go casual. It's a pretty poor quality polo. I got it for a golf day. I wore it at a golf day and I haven't even worn it to golf since because it's, I've got that many better quality golf polos to wear. And you actually play golf like regularly, yep. multiple times per Semi-pro. week, which suggests that if you're not wearing it, it's not worthy of being worn. Some people do take the absolute piss with Casual Friday and just wear like T-shirts, hanging out. Some people are smart. They wear the chinos. They tuck their shirt in. They wear a slightly more relaxed shoe, maybe a, a nice dressy sneaker or, or sand shoe or something, but or some brogues or some you know some desert boots or something. But some people just. They just push it a little bit too far. The girls can sometimes the denim skirts come out with a bit of fraying around the around the hems or a few rips in the jeans and that kind of thing. And it's just it's just sort of pushing it a little bit too far sometimes. Haven't you joked before that your friends say that you're forty going on seventy? Yeah, I mean, at one you actually said I, I do. I do mentally. Tusk, tusk a few of the young'uns in the office with some of their attire. If you play golf regularly with 70-year-old men, inevitably, you'll inherit their value system and morals. Absolutely. That's why I like it because they're more on my level than, than all the young'uns at the club. They get you. Okay, so let's work this wardrobe through from uh, bottom to top, starting with the shoes. So, in one of uh, Australia's strictest and, quote, most prestigious, unquote, clubs, the SCG, the Sydney Cricket Ground, there was a rule that you couldn't wear leather shoes without socks, like deck shoes. Now, I don't wear deck shoes at all. I don't like them at all. But plenty of men, particularly Cause, cause over 40, and- I think the deck shoe demographic is basically 16 to early 20s at university. And then there's a gap and it really then starts surging at about 45 plus. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And many of these people on the 45-plus side could afford their SCG membership and went regularly and dressed very smartly, the chino, the shirt, and wore the deck shoes without socks. And for 20 years, that You're, was considered to be sorry, unacceptable. Sorry to interrupt, but when you refer to deck shoes, another way to describe them might be boat shoes? Yeah, one of the same thing. Yeah. Look, we're, near, we're in a marina. <laughs> we're either on a deck or we've jumped from the deck to the boat. Or you're below deck yeah. trimming the mainsail or whatever exactly. you're Exactly, yep. yeah. But either way, there is salty water nearby and we are at risk of being possibly splashed by an oncoming wave. Absolutely. So, it sounds delightful. You wouldn't want to be caught dead wearing anything else, would you? No, oh, that's the most sensible shoe to wear. If you're basically on a slippery wooden surface that's swaying left to right, the most sensible pair of- shoes or footwear I can imagine is something that has basically three eyes on either side, barely enough to try and do up, a shoelace made of leather, which isn't designed to be either bent or tied in a bow, and then a sole with a heel, oddly, a heel, <laughs> yes. 
and a type of rubber that pretty much is slippery and the, dry. It is the heel that gets you, isn't it? That's right. It makes no sense at all. Um, be safer with bare feet on the deck or a boat. But that's the issue with Casual Friday is you sort of get a good insight into people's personalities. And often on Casual Fridays, I'm struck looking at people going, that's what you look like on the weekend. Oh, look, that's, mate, what you, that's what you get around in at home. No, you have totally hit on the head as always with that insight. Or you find out the people who've only got like one shirt, one pair of jeans, like, oh, he's wearing that shirt and that pair of jeans again? Again. Okay, hang on, hang on. Slow it down. There's this, this too much glory here. We need to unpack this. So, you've totally nailed it correctly, I think, that Casual Friday is a wonderful insight to your work colleagues. Not necessarily in a negative way, but people often have to try and conform off their square pegs and round holes, which isn't fair to them by dressing or acting in a certain way Monday to Thursday. And Casual Friday provides them with the opportunity to perhaps, you know, express a bit more of their unique personality, which is thumbs up. That's great. But it is interesting when you see the way that some people choose to express that personality. And some people think, oh, you know what? I'll add some moderate flair. Whereas others decide to really go hell for leather and really express themselves to the point that they're obviously breaking some sort of internal workplace casual Friday dress policy. But that's worth it for them because they get to be themselves. I find Melbourne Cup Day really weird because there'll be six or seven people in the office who who won't have a function booked external. They'll just come to the office, sit in their desk all day with a fascinator on and like a, a dress that they'd wear to the to a wedding or something just because it's Melbourne Cup Day and they're just going to eat a bit of charcoal chicken in the kitchen and have a glass of champagne at three o'clock and then go back to their <laughs> desks. <laughs> really? Yeah, I find it really weird. Okay, that is actually a bit odd. That's But that's that's called like getting into the spirit of Melbourne Cup. It's like- Yeah, that's a bit odd. Look, at least if you had a get-together for a 50-minute sweepstake, perhaps it's for them, it's worth it for that reason. But I don't know. Look, it's I understand why people do what they do, but, but what, what, we don't always whole, agree. Where did this whole casual Friday thing come from anyway? I don't know. I'm, I don't imagine they do it in do they do it in London. I don't know. I mean, I just think it ties into a point in time where people were talking about workplace, accommodating workplaces, and when they started discussing pre-working from home, it was trying to make one day of the week a little bit different so people felt like they were easing themselves into the weekend. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to- You're right. You know what? In preparation for the next podcast, Ep, we should actually go back and research the origins of Casual Friday because I'd be curious to know, like, what was its intention? Because often you find, like, the open plan office ideology- the intentions of something aren't always the same as the eventual execution and evolution. So, I used to work at a law firm and I had this particularly bad pair of jeans, which the brand of them was Mooks. I don't even remember the Australian brand. So, for our international listeners, the Mooks jean is like somewhere between streetwear and surfwear. Yeah, it's like a Vans or- Yeah, it's a skatey brand. It's a skatey, surfy, also kind of quirky- I think their stuff was a bit quirky. Yeah. So I had this pair of jeans which had sort of two layers of of denim on them. It had these sort of like almost full length of the leg patches on the front, which was like not patches, but it was actually part of the pant. It was like additional layer sort of sewn on. It had these little holes deliberately cut into it. And then it had this other additional layer sort of across the ass. I thought they were kind of cool, but they were an acquired taste. 
but they were very comfortable and I used to wear them all the time. So, of course, I wore them to Casual Friday and then I got asked to go up to court. Ah. Oh, it's okay. You can go in that. Just sit at the back of the court. Just take notes because we're not actually in this matter. We just want to know what's going on. Really? And I was like, oh, okay. It was a fr- and Friday, it's a busy day at court for short matters, directions, hearings and stuff. And I was like, oh, I probably won't run into anyone I know. It'll be fine. I just saw all these people I knew and the love- everyone's looking at me going, what? what are you doing? Nice jeans, nice outfit. Like, what are you doing here? And it's not like I could just pretend to be a litigant in person, you know, some guy representing himself in his crusade against the local council or something <laughs> because everyone knew that I was just there to take notes <laughs> in these particularly casual clothes anyway. And did the judge or anyone say anything to you that has changed your approach to casual Fridays since? Thankfully, they didn't see me to comment, but I learned my lesson. I always kept a spare suit and tie and shirt at the office. Tell me this. How many suits do you have? I did a cull, I think, which is the topic of a previous podcast about 18 months ago. So, now I'm down to five. So, do you leave one at work and then you rotate four at home? At the moment, since I've been in this new career, I leave jackets at work just in case and just purely from a heat perspective because I walk to work and I leave a couple of jackets at home and a couple of jackets at work. The pants just go back and forth. So, going back to casual Friday then, oh, that, how rule, do you that, rule, that rule's gone. I used to leave them all at work. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So, do you have a spare suit at work now if you get caught out, you know? No. In I've a got, pinch, you're okay? I don't leave a full suit. So, Friday, I don't have those needs anymore. You have a sports jacket if, you know. You know. I, have a, I have a nice blazer with a, some leather elbow patches and to go. A smoking but Actually, uh, that's, one, that's, one, a- that's one point I wanted to make on Casual Friday is it's working in the city, you see the people who are dressed too casually, they've come in to do their Christmas shopping, but then you get the other people who are, they put more effort into their Casual Friday outfit than they do their Monday to Thursday. You mean it's just um, very tailored wear or it's uh, coordinated Absolutely. or it's sexy? So, or- so, for the modern gentleman, it'll be the leather shoes, no socks, tight chinos rolled up. Okay, stop there. Stop. Okay, let's work from the footwear upwards because I'm dying to get your take on this. Earlier we talked about what happens next in relation to shoes without socks. What are your thoughts on that? Blisters blisters is what happens next. Okay, so there's there's two levels here. There's the aesthetic appearance of it and there's a practical execution of it. Starting with the practical, anyone that wears shoes of any sort without socks, I think they're insane. Now, maybe women's high heels, I don't know, are softer leather and so they're designed to not get blisters. But a pair of men's brogues or a boat shoe, or even sneakers without socks, inevitably cause blisters and your feet get hot and sweaty. And when they're just, hot and sweaty, they get smelly. Yeah, it just your shoes just stink. Yeah. It's basically something that looks good in a photograph by a cool river in France for an advertising campaign. But day to day, to wear a pair of leather brogues with no socks and those sort of higher what do you call those, like capri-style pants for men. But who wants who wants crazy. to see some 45-year-old guy's hairy ankles? Totally. At Did work. At work. Pasty white ankles at like work. mine. I agree. At the pub. No. So, the first rule of thumb is what happens next for Casual Friday? There used to be a rule. There still is a rule that you can't wear frayed jeans because the days of the Mooks jean and was it Tasubi or something? Brand that popularized mm-hmm. torn denim. So- About 10, 15 years ago, HR departments started incorporating a ban against torn denim. So, I think 
maybe you can't regulate this with an p- internal policy, but certainly there must be, you must encourage social shaming for any shoes worn without socks by men, particularly if the trousers w- are higher. I would ban men from not wearing socks to work. Let's decree and, that as and- the rule right now. And not just any socks. You can't wear those little no-show socks, or you can't wear you can't wear those socks that end below the ankle bone, for example. Hang on, don't you actually wear those no-show socks yourself? But not to work. Oh, okay. So thank you. Let's work our way up. Now, when I was at the cricket recently, I saw some guys. There's a thing in Australia where several groups of people buy tickets in a group to dress as a famous Australian sports commentator called Richie Beno. Don't understand it myself. And they're called the Richies. And they dress in this iconic sort of bone slash beige slash white suit and collar, collar shirt and tie, the grey wig to resemble this iconic commentary TV legend who was also a cricketer who died recently. Long story short, I saw a Richie walking past at the cricket match and he had basically spray-on white jeans. Like, I could see the veins in the back of his cycling calves as he walked past. Wow. So, I'm not sure if you can apply a ban to all tight trousers for both genders in the workplace. That would be inappropriate for the workplace. Tight trousers or- That tight. They were very tight. They were very snug. I actually put a pair of, je- <laughs> put a pair of jeans on last Friday and I was putting them on going, ooh, these might be a bit tight for the office. I'm like, ah, oh, walk into the office or loosen up. Stretch them out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the conversation around every household around the world when a couple is getting dressed in the morning. It's a conversation where you, you both look at each other and think, huh, these uh, pants are a bit snug. But normally the, the question com- is, have you put on weight or are they just sort of tight by design and it's potentially a little bit too risque for the workplace? Normally, the conversation I have with myself on a casual Friday is, oh, this hasn't been ironed. Can I get away with this this shirt? Because I always wear a collared long sleeve shirt on a Friday because we've discussed I don't do polos on a Friday. I go, oh, can I get away with this? It hasn't been ironed. And that's when I think, okay, I'll roll the sleeves up. I'll sling my satchel across my shoulder and I'll get a good sweat on by the time I get to the office. And by then, all the wrinkles in it will look a bit more natural than they do at the moment. And I go, yeah, I can get away with it. Yeah, that's fair enough logic. Speaking of which, by the way, before we leave behind the topic of shirts, can you explain to me, somehow using an elementary version of physics, how there can be these brands that declare their shirts, which are 100% cotton, are wrinkle-free, iron-free? I don't know, Benny. Would you care to explain? Because I know you are a, a purveyor of these fine shirts. I have no idea, but whenever a brand proclaims you know, to the heavens that a shirt is iron-free, Gets yeah, it's 100% cotton. Uh, yeah, I that's, can't question how it works. It's 100% that gets you, doesn't it? It's like, how can it be without being some- That's right. Couple, like, even a couple of percent viscose or something in there. 2% elastine or something like that. Need, it's confusing. Right. To, that's, a, that's a heady mix right there. So, no, what would your ideal mix be? 96 cotton, 2 elasticine, and I saw two a nice shirt today, uh, 93% cotton, 7% elastine. Really? The normal rule of thumb- for the, uh, the man, the gentleman, is 2% elastine. I would have thought so. Yeah. Is it elastine, tain? What's wrong with elastine? I think it's elastine. Elastine. Point being, it's a tiny proportion of stretchy material in otherwise pretty robust starchy fabric. Yeah. cotton fabric. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, let's tie a bow on this particular subject. One of us next is that we have officially outlaw- outlawed throughout Australia in the workplace trousers that are too snug for any gender to cause discomfort to a nearby audience, men wearing any form of shoes without socks, particularly the higher capri pant where the cuff is too high, and the corporate polo, whilst acceptable, is not particularly trendy or on brand. The other problem you do get is you wear the shoes that you might not wear in the office environment. So for me, last week I wore the Converse Chuck Taylor high tops and normally I'd wear them down the pub or something like that, maybe to the movies or to a restaurant. You're not walking through a fairly quiet open plan office down a hallway next to all the open plan desks and they do squeak a lot, those shoes. That's like an episode of Seinfeld where George had those swishy pants when he walked with every stride. Yeah. It made some sort of swoosh sound. So, I was quite subconsciously walking through the office trying deliberately to press my heel down in a manner which would minimise the squeak last week. And I was like, mental note, like, don't wear these to casual Friday again. Mate, that's hilarious because anyone who wears a pair of Vans or skatey shoes or Converse shoes on the street on concrete, you'd never notice a squeak at all. In fact, it'd be the opposite, right? You'd hear a clack, clack, clack of high heels or men's shoes that have a heel and leather sole. But someone strolling past in a pair of Converse or Vans, you wouldn't hear a peep. So, it's just a great example of how a shoe is designed for a certain environment. Horses and for not courses. The other. Yeah. Exactly. Swings and roundabouts. Now, before we uh, wrap tonight up, I want to just quickly ask your opinion on what should happen next. When people migrate from their casual Friday to their pub of choice yeah. after a big day, so they've kind of like, you know- let out a bit of line by dressing more casually in the first instance in the workplace. They're kind of getting ready for the Is night ahead. fishing metaphor? I like it. Kind of. Now they're prepared to try and catch a few marlin at the pubs and clubs after work. Oh, yeah. So I was at a pub recently after work in inner Sydney where, you know, it was sort of thriving on a big busy night. Everyone's going crazy. Younger people are there to try and pick up. Old those divorcees, yet, people, you know. I would say old divorcees are also there to pick up. And I saw a few people order some flavoured alcohol. Now, putting aside my – I'm not a tight ass, but I always find it hard to understand people who order a standard drink of sorts at an exorbitant price, like, you know, $15 for a shot of a scotch that you could buy the entire bottle for 50 Putting aside that, which is a separate podcast episode altogether, Mm. the idea of the flavoured spirits like the blackcurrant vodka or the mandarin vodka. So, please educate me and explain to me why would you just buy a regular vodka and then have like a selection of mixes or cordials to splash into it, which is pretty much what happens with every other cocktail, right? You mix stuff together, uh, but Bloody's Marys, I don't- vodka and orange. Like that's the whole point of mixing alcohol with various flavors. Yet some people apparently are buying one liter, one point five liters of vodka with a bit of black currant splashed in, which means then you only ever have black. Current then you've vodka. got then you've got a yeah you got a liter and a half of black currant vodka to work through. It's the same thing with pre mixed bourbon and cokes or oh. you know 
Canadian Club and Dry and stuff. It's like you're buying these premixed cans or bottles of this premixed stuff. It's full of sugar. You could be having you could buy a nice bottle of bourbon, a nice nice bottle of Jack or Wild Turkey or even Maker's Mark if you want to go that far. And you could buy a beautiful bottle of Coke Zero and have no sugar. By the way, I love to use the word a beautiful bottle. Yeah. Let's just say you buy a 24 slab of Diet Coke or Pepsi Max. Yeah. And you buy a couple of bottles of whiskey or scotch or whatever. You go home. But you could buy a, a full bottle of Maker's Mark and a two-liter bottle of Coke Zero for less than you could buy a case of premix, wild turkey and dry or wild turkey and Coke, whatever. And you could make your own with your own ice and your own quantities and your own your own strength. You could double shot that stuff. Without any additives at all. Like it's just the yeah, Coke it's or pure. the cola. It's pure, right? Yeah. You don't know what's in that. And it's like, yeah. why would you do that? I don't get it. And I you know. drink it out of a glass instead of a can? Like, I all, agree. All points are pointing to no to the premix. But I agree with the flavoured vodka and stuff. I just find that. But occasionally you go around to someone's house and you'd be like, oh, if you've got anything to drink, they're like, oh, have a look in the cupboard there. And you'd be like, pineapple flavoured absolute vodka. <laughs> and it's like. Two thirds of the bottle left, and it's all sort of crusty around the top. Yeah, like so it's been. You pretty much years. described. You didn't didn't actually intend this. It's very generous of you. You've described my beloved, who was educated for about thirty years from the mid eighties to now, where she was educated to always once going through customs to buy alcohol, um, novelty flavored alcohol. She did free. No, well, not specifically that, but she already had vodka. So almost as a reaction like it's a sales day or something, she felt this compulsion to seize the moment to buy. It's like that expression, you can go broke saving money. Like, I'm going through duty-free, it's a crime not to buy anything. But once in Australia, about 18, almost 19 years ago, when they introduced a tax on food and alcohol and so on, it then became almost irrelevant. The goods and services tax? The GST, Exactly. So the idea of duty-free in many countries, including Australia, is kind of redundant, right? You can always go to some sort of Audi-type discounter or something, Costco, wherever, and find some sort of alcohol beverage that is substantially discounted, which is definitely cheaper than GST. So in our house, in our cellar, we've been together for many years, almost 20 years, and we have bottles that are longer than our relationship and they are precisely as you describe. Really? Yep. It's the freaking mandarin vodka with the crusty top. Has basically maybe someone once poured three shots. Yeah. And didn't like it. It's the novelty factor. You take it to a party and you go, yeah, I bought these. Let's still do shots of this pineapple vodka. And you have a couple and you go, that's disgusting. Yeah. Let's get also, back to the normal vodka. It tastes like you've dipped a cheap lolly that's pseudo- Pineapple flavored into the vodka. Totally. It doesn't taste sincere like vodka. Like, oh, it doesn't it, taste like pineapple. It's the equivalent of basically buying a GNT pre mixed with lime already in it, with lime flavoring. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And like, if you're a serious gin and tonic drinker and you've had a pre mixed can of Gordon's and tonic, like, yeah, you know. totally. If you can't mix a drink yourself, which let's say it's a vodka and, um, Lime, or let's say it's yeah. A we're not talking some sort of gin and tonic, Brian Brown. No, we're talking, talking gin and tonic, um, Bundy and Coke, whatever it is. It's one. I think you need to look in the mirror and take a very serious look at your choices. It's one on one. It's like one part so one easy. Part spirit, four parts drink, or exactly. whatever it is. You turn the bottle, you let it go, glug glug for two seconds. 
You feel the rest of the oh, glass up. Pretty poor. Oh, I like it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, I'm coming to your place. I was dating a waitress once. <laughs> I'm coming to your place. <laughs> it's not that free. But it's not, it's not rocket science. And if you can't do that, there's serious problems. So the idea of going out and buying a 24-pack at great expense of a premix drink is ludicrous. Extreme novel. It's a novelty in the extreme. If you can basically make breakfast cereal, which is cereal and milk, you can make a drink. That's a comparison. Yeah, that's a good point. No, imagine, no one buys premixed breakfast. Imagine cereal. buying premixed breakfast cereal. Ridiculous. It's imagine buying doggies. peanut butter toast already done that you microwave. Ridiculous. Although, as I described this out loud, I sort of feel like I've hit upon <laughs> a genius <laughs> there's business. There's idea. a target market out yeah, there. Totally. Time poor. All right. Consumers. Speaking of time poor, mate, I think we should tie a bow on this bad boy and call it a night. Yeah. Okay. What happens next is that if we were kings of the world for a day as armchair critics, we would outlaw all premix drinks and encourage everyone to take something in one hand and something in the other and mix them together, freestyling. Would sounds, you? Uh, sounds good to me. All right. So, mate, on that note, it's been a pleasure as always. You can catch me on the usual socials, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon as Ben Phelps. Mate, until next time, peace out and be good. You too, mate. See you later.